Hey everyone, and welcome to this special Soapbox edition of the Risky Business Podcast. My name's Patrick Gray. For those of you who don't know, these Soapbox podcasts are wholly sponsored. That means anyone you hear in one of these podcasts paid to be here. And today's Soapbox is brought to you by Nucleus Security. Nucleus makes a platform that ingests vulnerability scan information from all of your vuln scanning tech uh, so that you can normalize that information and then do stuff like assign different vulnerabilities to different teams uh, for them to manage and remediate. Uh, you can send these ones to infrastructure, send these ones to your app teams, uh, send everything up and down this particular stack to this department that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, if you want to see Nucleus in action, I have recorded a demo of it uh, with Scott Cooper, our guest today, and it is on our YouTube product demos page. I've linked through to it in the show notes for this podcast. And of course, our guest today is, as I mentioned, Scott Cooper, who is the co-founder of Nucleus. And uh, the topic is running a vulnerability management program uh, for very large enterprise. Uh, the ins and outs of all of that and how that's changing. Uh, it's very interesting stuff. I will drop you in here where I ask Scott the first question. I hope you enjoy uh, this conversation. Um, all right, so Scott, why don't we talk about the ins and outs, the complexities, the perils of managing a, a, a large volume program. And now when we talk about a large volume program, we're talking big company, global, divisions in 20 countries, hundreds of thousands of staff, that sort of thing. I'd imagine probably people who aren't familiar with super companies like that, like super mega enterprises, would think that everything's uniform. There's a standard operating environment across everywhere and, you know, it's all singing, all dancing. That's not really how those places tend to work is it no that's absolutely right patrick it's actually funny because it's something that we realized we haven't talked much publicly about before and there doesn't seem to be a lot of material out there about how to manage processes especially in the vulnerability management space in really large environments which are just by definition extremely complex and we we start to see that easy things become very difficult at scale when you're just trying to do very simple things, like figure out if you even have a vulnerability, much less how to fix it and to triage it and all of the processes where everything needs to, to work together. And honestly, you know, I don't know any enterprise that has a uniform standard process across anything, especially within security or, you know, different vulnerability management aspects. I mean, we're even just looking at, you know, multiple different business units that don't even use the same tools and there's always these 10 year long projects just to standardize on the same vulnerability scanner. And then you go make a, an acquisition and all of a sudden- Yeah, that goes out the window because they're using something else and it's and it's embedded in there like a tumor, basically. Exactly, it's been there since 1999. They've got a whole bunch of folks just out there doing things. You know, sometimes they're delivering reports to somebody's desk. It's a, it's a whole thing. And then you have to change an entire process. and. I think the old adage is it's hard to steer an aircraft carrier. Well, these these companies, especially in a global scale, is like trying to change an entire fleet of aircraft carriers at the same time. Yeah, I was just, yeah that's what came to mind. It's like trying to steer 10, uh, you know, in a, in a storm. So, you know, how have companies traditionally tried to wrangle this issue, right? Because it's funny because I've known you since the start of your business 
And when you started off, you were thinking very much along the lines of typical enterprise, not like megacorps, just typical enterprise with a bit of a mix of technology. And, you know, we can help them sort of um, uh, deal with that. And then where you've actually wound up doing quite a lot of your business is in these absolutely gigantic corporations, which are much bigger than the, the types of organizations that you were initially uh, intending to, to help. But like ignoring your technology piece of it, like how is this problem typically managed by these extremely large uh, orgs? Do they typically sort of deputize people in the in the regions to manage programs locally? Um, do they have any sort of, is there any sort of uniform guidance that comes from corporate HQ? Like, what does it typically look like? It The short answer is that it's all over the place. Um, so you actually see traditionally one of three different models. Uh, the first model that we see be pretty successful sometimes, depending on the organization and a whole bunch of political stuff um, going on in these giant enterprises, is a global services team. So what they'll do is they'll almost create a managed service provider inside of the organization, and they'll consolidate all of their cybersecurity services capabilities into one place. And then all of the business units will essentially contract uh, to this internal team that essentially is just serving as, a, as an internal services provider. And so depending on your, your organizational layout, that can be successful because you might have certain directors that all roll up to one global security team. Um, and you get some benefits to that, but the problem is is that you're trying to build a one-size-fits-all approach at, at that point. And so how you're operating in Asia is most of the time completely different than how you're operating in Europe, how you're operating in North America, and then even within different regions. Yeah, and it seems, it seems crazy to have like a centralized team at an American HQ that has an Asia division for Asia and it's not in Asia. Exactly. Like it just seems that's where it starts getting a bit screwed. Exactly. And so most organizations start there. And then they decide, oh, this is actually not working. So what we need to do is we need to enable and democratize the entire process. So we're going to start farming out and delegating essentially uh, the responsibility for all of these different processes to different teams. And then what ends up happening is that you lose a ton of visibility because – uh, I was yeah. just, so, yeah. it's, so it's kind of a <laughs> <laughs> you've got no insight into what's happening and then you ask them to provide reports but you don't really know if the reports are any good or if they're just telling you what you want to hear and uh, yeah exactly so it becomes very difficult just to manage the complexity of just again like being able to say hey do we even have this vulnerability what does our patch cycle look like and then having to aggregate that across a whole bunch of different business units uh, so those tend to be the two models that we see most commonly and then the third model is somewhere in, in between, right, where you have essentially an oversight layer. And this is where uh, it kind of gives me a little bit of PTSD flashback to uh, federal government, right, where you've got this bureaucratic layer that is meant to essentially, quote unquote, manage um, the process. And then they essentially farm it out and enable uh, different individual offices around different regions. And so uh, you have somewhat of the challenges in between the you know, top level overall management of the overall process and then some of the challenges of the visibility aspect and they're trying to bridge the gap in between the two um, and then when you start talking about that and how do you even make that decision uh, is very difficult and we have organizations that we work with that have tried all three of those um, in the scope of 10 years and you know that there's a lot of expertise that's missing because it just hasn't really been done before in these super super corporations if you will yeah so what's the recipe for success in doing that, is there one or it's just kind of luck of the draw? Because I'd imagine a little bit of both, really. Yeah, honestly, um, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news at this point, but there are not many corporations uh, or, or organizations in general that have been super successful uh, with widespread vulnerability management deployment, and which is 
Uh, funny, I was talking to a CISO the other day, um, and he basically said vulnerability management has become the dirty little secret of cybersecurity, uh, spe specifically in these big organizations. And there hasn't been a whole lot of visibility into the overall process. And that's why everybody's like, hey, here's our scan results. And they try to Jedi mind trick their way through the compliance audit of we're, we're fine. Nothing to see here, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> that's kind of what I was saying about like, you know, uh, people just saying what they think the people above them want to hear, right? Because there is a bit of that sort of thing. Well, which when you're in a position where you can't really give them what they're demanding, like that's always going to be your result, right? You can't just tell people do something impossible and tell me you've done it. They'll just say, "Yeah, okay, we did it." Cool. Exactly. Yeah. Here's the <laughs> here's the numbers. Here's our here's our PowerPoint slide. And it's starting to not work anymore to do that. That's been something we've seen historically, um, where we've even worked with customers that say, "Hey, we can't change the metrics we're using because if the metrics and the numbers change that much, even just from the ability to monitor." Like we don't know what the impact that is going to have on the board, right? The board might come back and get really upset or uh, make some drastic decisions, and they don't even know what they're what they're trying to do. And especially when they start thinking about business context and how do we, you know, if I'm if I'm a chairman of the board of a giant organization and somebody brings vulnerability management metrics to me, it's like, what does that mean? And how do you translate that into a real business process, especially in a global in a global setting? So. Uh, it's one of those things where, where we haven't seen a lot of success there, but we see appetite for success. And that's something that I think is changing. We're starting to see a tide uh, that's kind of an undercurrent in the market and in the industry where everybody is trying to essentially figure it out. Because now we're starting to see you know, vulnerabilities being one of the top uh, initial breach points you know, in, into an enterprise. So it's it's no longer phishing. Uh, so that's their shout out to the proof points of the world and the and the Novafors and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's all. You know, that's um, that's a high impact stuff is mostly on the um, you know, edge devices and stuff, right? So that's 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 what's distorting those uh, those numbers. But even if they're not the number one, even if they're not the number five, you still got to patch. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you still got to patch your stuff because if people stop patching, they will become number one um, uh, pretty quick. But let's talk a little bit about how that reporting flow has traditionally worked. Because I'd imagine, I'd imagine it would mean a binder full of like Nessus, Qualys, NetSparker, and whatever um, uh, scan results. Yeah, just sort of stuffed into a binder and sent up the chain, which isn't the easiest thing to interpret. But it's better than what we used to have. Like that's one thing where the scanners have got better is their reporting is actually pretty good now but only for the results from its own scan output. Exactly, and and the processes that we're starting to see organizations build do actually reflect that, right? The increase in the pro productivity of the scanning tools. But what's happening now is that we've got cloud scanners and CSPM and Wiz and Lacework and all of those that now we're trying to manage. And we've got all the AppSec stuff that you know, you're trying to build in an agile environment. And so now we're, we're seeing the vulnerability management is starting to become responsible for managing not just network security vulnerabilities and patching, but essentially somebody needs to manage all of it, right? Because the board and the CISO is not asking about, hey, what's our network vulnerabilities? They just want to know, hey, where are we at risk for all of our vulnerabilities? And how do we actually make decisions to invest in the right places to fix those? And so that reporting structure is we're starting to see, we started to see this shift about five years ago where everybody was now dumping all of this data into SQL databases and data lakes because data lakes and data warehouses were like the the new hot hotness at the time, right? And so yeah, yeah, everybody's yeah. trying to use Snowflake and then they realize, well, that's awesome, but 
now we don't have the ability to execute and remediate and, and take action on it. So now we need this like blend of, well, we need to be able to manage the data and we need to be able to report on the data and we need to be able to do that at scale across our entire environment. And uh, if the CISO asks me, do we have a vulnerability? I want to be able to answer that question without having to go ask 17 other people um, and then have them go ask 17 more other people and more people until you get down to all the individual tools. It just becomes a, a nightmare really, really quickly when you when you boil it down. But that being said, I think the big the big kind of takeaway here is that we're starting to see organizations shift and wanting to invest in this type of change in the in their infrastructure because the cultures are starting to shift as well, where risk and vulnerabilities are actually starting to go hand in hand. Whereas vulnerability scanning was sort of the you know it's like hey we're doing our scanning we're fine, but but that's starting to shift. Yeah 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 no that's exactly it right like are you using Nessus yes no tick move on right let's go get coffee and then i think it's yeah it really is that realization that especially now that everybody's developing apps i think that's another big thing that's changed is that you can't just rely on scanners that are looking for known cves right you got to look for dodgy input fields in your own applications and sqli and all of that sort of stuff so you got your stuff like sneak and i think netspark was one i mentioned before and yeah, just all, all, all of that different stuff. And, and as you mentioned, the, you know, CSPM, which uh, for those not familiar with the acronym is uh, Cloud Security Posture Management. Um, so that's, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of different stuff in the mix now. Do you think that's what sort of spurred people on to need that change? I think so, right? There, there's always been this concept called vulnerability sprawl, which is just vulnerabilities everywhere. But when it was all kind of contained in a single part of your tech stack, it, it was not that big of a deal, right? It's, hey, we've got, you know, a few million vulnerabilities, but they're all kind of just over there. So, like, we can go get them. But then as, start, as you start seeing that as organizations get more complex, we're starting to see even the differences, like, hey, there's SaaS scanners, like, you know, or whatever, like, uh, we're scanning and have product security for all of our apps that make us money, and that's one team. And then we have our corporate AppSec team that's responsible for the apps that don't make us money. It's like just our internally developed apps. And they're totally different processes owned by different people. And they have co completely different workflows and tool sets as well. It's almost like this is a problem that's quite contemporary, right? Because we have seen this big pivot to a lot more, you know, in-house developed stuff. And yeah, we just maybe didn't foresee that this was going to turn into a into a something that was going to greatly complicate our, our vulnerability management efforts. Absolutely. And I think the biggest takeaway at this point is that we just need to go faster, right? Like there are vulnerability management processes that were kind of, they're kind of working, um, but they're very manual and they just, they just need to go faster because our IT infrastructure changes all the time and we need to be able to provision and manage the process as quickly as possible. And I think what we're starting to see as well is a lot of organizations are having a hard time actually hiring for this because you know, there are a lot of folks out there who are really great at, you know, running Qualys scans and being really great at, at going into the Qualys console or whatever and, and generating the reports and understanding that type of data. But when you start looking at, well, how do we join data across all of the different parts of our stack so we figure out what to do and prioritize and triage and analyze all of that data at scale, uh, we're starting to see a need for the that those types of skills. And a lot of our clients and just in the industry, we're seeing that it's really hard to scale a team. In a, across a global infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. So, so like a major bank, you know, well here would have like a cert with a couple of people in it, and now that's a much bigger job. I think is is kind of what you're getting at, right? Totally. Yeah. It's like who do we hire? Uh, who who can we hire? And you know, assuming that there aren't that many vulnerability management experts in the world, how do we build those? And how do we take people internally and turn them into that? 
And we've we've actually started to see you know in those same challenges internally at Nucleus, right? Because we're trying to become the vulnerability management experts uh, that help define these very complex processes and environments. And as we've grown super rapidly, it's a similar challenge to what we're facing. How do we train an entire cohort of people who know just bits and pieces about vulnerability management to be specialists across the entire stack and the entire process? And that's a that's a real challenge. I mean, even just looking at the industry as a whole, there's not a lot of educational courses out there about how to do vulnerability management correctly. Like I think there's only one SANS course that was you know written by a couple dudes uh, that we know. Um, and then there's one by a, a, a woman named Dr. Nikki Robinson, um, who works at IBM and, and she put together a great course, but they all kind of touch different pieces. There's just not a lot of standardization and everybody's just trying to figure it out. Well, I think that's, you know, that gluing this all together was a nice to have previously. And now it's kind of a must have, uh, for most orgs. I think that's, uh, that's a big part of it. Let me ask you this now, obviously, you know, the reason we're talking about all this is because you make tooling, which is designed to sort of solve a lot of these problems, or at least, you know, help people to wrangle them. You've gone into some very large organizations and helped build some of this reporting, um, that gives them insight. When you turn on something like your software, when you turn on something like Nucleus and it starts populating data into a central place, like what is the one thing that tends to pop up most in terms of, oh God, we've got to fix that, right? Because all of a sudden you're shining a light on the whole org and it's vuln posture. Where's the, um, where, where are the horror shows? Where do they typically turn up? So <laughs> this is actually a great question because uh, mostly it, it ends up with the patch management teams reporting is where the biggest um, issues arise because patch management teams are reporting against kind of the patches that they're running. And so they'll deliver that to the CISO or to whoever it is that's monitoring that and say, hey, we had 98% success rate on our patching for the month. Our SLAs were all hit. We're, we're good to go. And then you start looking, yeah, you start, <laughs> and then you start looking at the scan results, and it ain't necessarily exactly. So. And it's it can be simple simple fixes, right? Where hey, we're not uninstalling old versions of the software, so actually we're just accumulating new vulnerabilities over time with new sets of the same software. And so the patch report will say one thing. Well, Adam Boileau actually has a, a rule uh, for uh, the, it's Boileau's rule, which is the security of an organization is inversely proportional to the number of java versions uh -huh. on their on their unix servers <laughs> yeah. right so that's oh <laughs> uh, is that a law is that written down somewhere <laughs> uh, yeah this was from a from a post he wrote for our blog years ago but it's yeah it's basically boilo's law which is the uh, yeah the security of an organization is inversely proportional to the number of concurrent java versions running on its unix box that's that's honestly that's pretty on brand for metal so <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's it, it holds true it does right? yeah and uh, you just extrapolate that out to all of the different vendors that you're using in a global enterprise. And now you've <laughs> yeah. uh, got a little bit of a dumpster fire on your hands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is interesting. So although, I mean, you guys don't really touch the um, the patch management side, right? Like you're not trying to automate patching and, and all of that. So, you know, even if you know your patches aren't sticking, well, I guess that's it, isn't it? Like the, the, the first step here is knowing that you have a problem, as they say. Yeah, that's, that's part of it. Uh, I think another big part and something that becomes really important at scale is just prioritization. How do you actually figure out what you want to fix and define it, being able to define that so it's just every vulnerability from every scanning tool is being treated equally in your overall process because you know when you're a giant global enterprise you're looking at you know 50 to 500 million vulnerabilities that you just have open at any given time 
And so when you're looking across that many, it's just impossible to fix all of those, right? You maybe can fix 5%, maybe 10% if you're really investing heavily. So being able to just define what you want to fix and then just getting that information to the patch management teams, right? Because the patch management teams are great. Like they're doing their job. They want they want to be successful as well, but they don't actually have the information. And uh, quite frankly, they don't care about vulnerabilities. <laughs> they they care about running their patches and they care about hitting their SLS. Exactly. Right? And so if we can abstract the vulnerabilities themselves away from the patch and just say, hey, run this patch. It came from the security team. And by the way, it's high priority and it's, you know, just roll it out with your next patch cycle that you're doing. Or, hey, this is really bad. We actually need to roll it out now. They, they tend to do it, right? So you don't need to uh, encourage people with sticks and, and throwing stones. You just kind of need to get them the information so they can do the job. Need to provide them with the information where you can say, you know, from a position of authority, this is important. Exactly, because the worst thing you can do and the biggest one of the biggest problems we see is bad data or stale data where you go and you give something to a remediator and they say, oh, this isn't valid anymore because either the system's no longer there or... Uh, the vulnerability is just not, it's just a false positive. So that that filter that you have to apply to large volume sets of data uh, is very important. And it gets overlooked oftentimes by uh, some of these vulnerability assessors because they're just like, well, we need, this looks really bad. We need to ship it to somebody. But it's like, well, who do we even ship it to? Has it been triaged appropriately? And then how do we manage that triage process at scale without, you know, thousands of people just pouring through uh, giant volumes of, of data because that's no good either. Then you're in the same position you were in with Sims 10 years ago. Yeah, so I mean, you're not the only company that's making tools that are designed to, um, uh, uh, you know, solve this problem or at least make a dent on it. But why don't you talk us through what some of the other, other tooling has looked like, right, from a concept standpoint? Because, you know, I, th I think everyone who makes tooling in this space has a slightly different approach. Um, what are some of the other approaches that you saw before you you founded Nucleus to, to try to help people deal with this? Because it is, I mean, I remember stuff 20 years ago. I think it was, um, what were they, like Trusted Sec or whatever? I can't remember, Be Secure. They went through about like 10 different names and wound up being bought by Verizon. But even they had some some sort of vulnerability inventory management kind of stuff back then that was useful for its time. Like it, you know, obviously wouldn't work in a, in a modern context, but yeah. Why don't you walk us through some of, some of the approaches from vendors in, in trying to tackle Yeah, them? sure. And actually that's a great, that's a great point, right? Uh, when you look at our market in this space, I mean, you look at even, I hate to hate to bring them up, but like you look at a Gartner and they don't know what to do with all the tools in our space. They kind of just throw us in with the necessities. Gartner don't, don't know what to do with an awful lot of yeah. stuff, right? Like they just they, don't. They don't, but, and, but that's the interesting thing. So you, we get thrown in with a whole bunch of other just kind of stuff, right? That are all trying to solve at a top level, quote unquote, vulnerability management. And so what we see is that there, there, we do sometimes some similar types of things, but then very quickly they deviate based on what they're actually trying to solve. And there's so many issues to solve in this area that, I mean, it's no, it's no surprise that we're all focusing on different stuff based on our experience, right? I mean, some folks are really plugged into the CI/CD pipeline and they're like, well, that sucks. Uh, we want to be able to shift left and just orchestrate scanners in the pipeline. And that's, that's a great use case, right? But it's a similar concept of what we're, of what they're trying to do. Um, but what we're seeing, just as a couple examples, um, prioritization was a big thing, right? You may have heard the term risk-based vulnerability management. Uh, that's That's been around for about five years, six years now. Uh, that was one approach, right? Which is, hey, our biggest problem is prioritization. Let's just solve that, and then we'll figure everything else out 
everything else out later. I mean, that was what CVSS was designed to do, but it doesn't give you the full picture, right? Like a CVSS 10 on a box no one touches that's buried deep in your network, you know, that's one thing, but maybe a CVSS 8.5 on a border device, much more critical, right? So it always comes back to that thing of it depends. You know, trying to prioritize is actually not that, not as straightforward as understanding whether or not a bug is severe or not. I mean, it might even be exploited in the wild, but by an APT crew that has no interest in owning you, so it's very low risk. Well, not very low risk, but you know what I mean. So yeah, there, there, there's a lot to weigh up there, isn't there, in, in calculating what is actually important to you. Exactly, and that's and that's definitely a big challenge, right? Like that is that is a big core fundamental problem with this type part of the industry and those workflows. But it's not the only problem, right? So if you look at some of the other tools out there, they just focused on prioritization because again, that's a big hairy problem that that is not as not super straightforward. But it kind of ignored the fundamental kind of process piece, right? And so we sort of fit in this this fun little middle section where it's like, hey, we actually want to overlay the entire process. And there's, you know, 97, 150 different processes um, that you have to be able to kind of trigger and manage across your vulnerability management stack. Because, like, for example, your, your GRC team cares about vulnerabilities because they have to do their exception management. Your patch management team cares about it. Your dev teams care about it. Your product owners care about it. Like, your your CEO, your CISO, some, maybe not the CEO, but your CISO, you know, cares about that kind of thing. And so we were we took the approach of saying, well, let's build a tool that's great for the analysts who just have to, like, do this process over and over and over again. And just be able to do it at scale because we're we're essentially, quite frankly, we have all of these vulnerability analysts which are being paid, you know, $150,000, $200,000 a year to just fill out spreadsheets and keep data up to date. And it's just like a total waste of everybody's time when we could start. It's a waste of human endeavor. As <laughs> yeah, I would say. exactly. Yeah. I mean, and that's what that's why you created, yeah, Nucleus, which is a pretty ambitious thing because the idea is all of those people log into them. Now, we've done a demo, a video demo of the product uh, which is going out on YouTube around the same time as this podcast. So I'll link to it from the uh, from the show description. One thing that you mentioned, um, uh, which I found really interesting, is that one of your customers, you have, what, five or 600 daily users for just that customer of people logging into your staff. That's And, and I, I, I think what makes that particularly interesting to me, right, is that this isn't designed to be a tool that you log into once a month and it spits out a report. This is designed to be the master console. So your CISO, she might log into it and and use it right down to the vuln analyst, to the developer, to the whatever, right? Like, of course, it's going to have some rough edges, Scott. We all of know course. that when you're trying to build something like this from scratch. But that's the vision, isn't it? To, to actually create a place where all of this data lives. Exactly. And, and that was something that, you know, when we started, we were trying to, quote unquote, democratize vulnerability management. And we sort of had this idea and hypothesis in our head that, hey, you know, there are organizations that if they're medium, they're not going to have, you know, vulnerability analysts where they can go in and, you know, just manage the data day to day. And so um, we just assumed like, hey, if we build all this automation, that that's going to be great, right? It'll be an easy sell. We don't even need don't even need salespeople, right? And then uh, very quickly, our very first prospect and our very first customer were, you know, Fortune 500 company. And they, they basically came in and said, um, hey, all of our analysts are working out of a spreadsheet and we don't want them to do that anymore. We would like them to have an updated list of all of the data and to just work out of this one one place with all of, with everything kept up to date. And I want their managing directors, if she wants to log in, if the CISO wants to log in and review it, pull whatever data they want at every layer of the tech stack and every layer of the organization, we want that. We want that right now. 
<laughs> yeah, and that was great. That was great. And then you had to. And then we had it. to build it, right? We were like, <laughs> "Yes, uh, give us a give, give us a few months. We'll be right back, right?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's the thing, right? Because once you've brought all of this, so you know, you you take in all of the Volnscan data, uh, put it in one place. I mean, that's half of it. Uh, you know, we spoke about this yesterday. That's half of it, and then from there, it's just feature requests, right, from from your customers, and that's what's guided your development. Which, and it's not like, you know, how you get these EDR tools and stuff with feature sprawl, and they just wind up really unruly. Like, the whole point of your thing is to have a ton of features for everybody to allow you to slice and dice and have workflows and whatever. But I mean, even even walking through the demo, like it's it's clear that like this tool it's it's a powerful tool but you're gonna have to spend some time with it to learn how it for works, sure right? and and that's easy to overlook when you built it <laughs> to be able to say i you know i to me it's just you know I, I could do it with my eyes closed right but as you definitely get to these onboarding sessions and you realize that hey every every big enterprise is doing things a little bit differently and so they want to be able to slice their data just a tad bit uh you know kind of off kilter from everybody else and we have this larger vision for the product, right? We have all of these these items that we want to build that we know from our experience. And, we, and that's actually the cool thing, right? We have, we're working with all these big corporations and some of the best of the business. And they're help, we're helping synthesize all of that data across a whole bunch of different verticals. You know, pharmaceutical, logistics, energy, government, like just manufacturing. And we're able to take all this data and and build this as a bigger as a bigger movement than just hey we're a couple guys that had an idea and and that's probably been the coolest part of this entire journey is just getting to work with essentially all of these high level folks that you know are honestly just as you know way smarter than than any of us and and well you get some interesting insights out of the data that you aggregate too and as i mean you've got the you've got an on-prem version but it's mostly a cloud service right like as is the story for everybody else i remember just recently doing an interview with hd more about rumble and um that was funny actually because he he said that like in the holiday seasons in the u.s people go out and buy the latest internet connected doohickey. And then of course he sees it in Rumble as an unknown device and has to figure out what it is. And quite often he's like, oh, that's actually a cool doohickey. And then he like adds one to his cart and, and buys it, right? <laughs> so uh, that's the way he's, uh, you know, actionable, actionable intelligence there for Rumble. But I'd imagine you'd get some real insights into the types of things that different verticals struggle with. I mean, I don't know, you know, it's going to be some good blog posts. I don't know if it's like earth shattering and going to change the world, but it would be interesting. Oh yeah. It's, it's super interesting. Uh, maybe not as interesting as the newest Roomba. Um, so HD, you know, <laughs> please let me know. <laughs> yeah. I, Amazon's finding new ways to, uh, to target you. So, um, you know, you've been doing this a few years now. Are you noticing that there are more players entering the space or other vendors that are trying to uh, create stuff that's uh, similar? Are you, you know, do you have competitors now where you see something they're doing and you're like, oh, that's a good idea and you're learning from them? Like, I, I guess what I'm asking is, is this, um, you know, are we going to see more tools and tooling designed to do this sort of thing, do you think? We are, actually. It's, uh, it's funny because, you know, a year ago, we used to laugh and say, hey, there's not really anybody else that kind of is trying to emulate us. And then now we laugh because basically every week, you know, some some new company that basically just copy and pastes our messaging from our website and like puts it up. And it, you could even tell that it's like almost a direct carbon copy. Um, and then, you know, like sometimes they will take screenshots and they'll like basically just change the colors and things and say, oh, we do we do the same type of thing. So we totally expect that to, to happen and it's going to continue to happen. But 
Um, I would say the thing that... Yeah, yeah we, but I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about the ones that you're worried about, not the ones that, you know, the ones that you worry about, not the ones that you don't worry about. Yeah, there are, I mean, obviously there are, there are other tools out there that are, that are competing as well. I think that where we sort of see... Uh, a lot of our competitive moat is actually the complexity of environments is really hard to emulate if you haven't worked there before. And so because we come from yeah. DOD and we worked essentially built this uh, this tool with the idea of just giant enterprise, giant organization, uh, most of the other tools that we see start to have a lot more kind of uh, utility in the small t- kind of medium business market where we originally thought we were going to have a bunch of success. Um, and whereas we start to really specialize in those big, complex, big, hairy problems is kind of where we do good. But I mean, you did start off thinking sort of medium we enterprise, did. right? Yeah. Like that is where you did think, but then you wound up going, okay, we'll do the giant org thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and that absolutely, I mean, that's, that's definitely going to happen. Right. And, and we totally expect that to be a thing. Um, I mean, and I, honestly, I think it's more just proof that this is something that people care about now, which is, which is great. I mean, honestly, anything to move the industry forward from the, 1995 uh we've got one open source scanning tool and you know we're we're good to go uh needs to change and so honestly we we view this sometimes in like less competitively and more collaborative right is hey what can we do to work together to just educate people that this is a problem and here's how we can solve it right like there's always going to be two three players you know big players in the space ultimately and that's where you want to end up anyway right so it's just a kind of a matter of can we get the market there I mean, I think it's a little bit a failure of the tenables of the world. You know, those big volume scanning companies that just have rivers of revenue um, from selling scans. The fact that they don't tend to be properly serious about allowing other scan tools into their fancy consoles and stuff. Like, it's just, it's just the nature of the beast, right? You don't want to be giving a leg up to the competition. And that's kind of how we wound up, you know, requiring other vendors to come in and actually interpret the data that they... Outcome. Right. I mean, it, it makes sense because if you think about it, um, you know, Qualys doesn't want to give their data to Tenable because now uh, Qualys is no longer the console that is being used for the management of the vulnerability data in their console. And it's like so the, it's like there's this this jockeying to be, you know, the iPhone for the vulnerability data. And it's really hard like, mm. just to imagine that, oh, hey, Tenable and Qualys are going to you know, pay each other money to like build integrations and be able to do that across an entire market. When, you know, there's a lot of great reasons to do so, but it's just really, it's really difficult. And especially to have special, like, if you think about even just companies like that, most scanning tools start out specializing in one type of scanning. And they're really great at that one type of scanning, but it's like, oh, well, now you want me to think about cloud? Well, I'm just going to go try to acquire people. And, you know, yeah, and they- that's cloud covered, right? And it'll be one approach. It'll be one thing. Yeah, no, and it'll never be, it'll never be properly comprehensive it'll work nicely out of the box though right like that's the advantage and that'll be enough for some but it's not going to be enough for some of these mega companies absolutely right and and there's so many different use cases like even just looking at like hardware and firmware vulnerability scanning and management like your requirements are so different where it's like hey we can use you know this special specialized scanner and we have to because we have to provide specific types of reports to specific regulatory bodies but you know pre-compilation of code post-compilation of code and then actually scanning the hardware before we ship it, right? And so just like very specific use cases, you're just, it's its unrealistic to expect one vendor to be able to do everything. And I mean, we see every year yeah. at RSA, there's like 30 new scanning tools that pop up. And there's reasons for that is that, you know, there's opportunity. 
There's always right. a gap, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, Scott Cooper, thank you so much for joining us on the old soapbox to have a bit of a chat about the excitement of running a uh, global vulnerability program for a uh, huge company with a zillion different um, uh, scan tools. Uh, very interesting stuff, my friend. And of course, people can check out uh, the demo that Scott and I recorded on our YouTube channel. I will drop a link into the show notes for this podcast episode. Uh, thank you again, Scott, and uh, we'll talk to you Thanks soon. Thanks again, Patrick. Always fun. Always fun.